Welcome to Roger's wireless voicemail. Please enter your password. Hi, Cherry Bass. I wanted to tell you how, what a great job you guys are doing. I got a lot of calls and messages. And uh, you guys were fun. You made me, you make your interviewees very comfortable. You guys should be proud of that. Down the line, we'll get to talk. Stay healthy and safe. Farzi, it is Friday. We are releasing another podcast here. And that means we are five days away from the London Knights winning the OHL's first draft lottery. Congratulations, Dale and the London Knights. I am glad that you are starting on this foot or perhaps more appropriately since this is our OHL Stories podcast on this skate because it should be known that as much as I somehow have earned this reputation as the loud mouth, big mouth, pick on London Knights commentator on this team, it is you that is stirring the pot incessantly. And I'm just sitting here as an, it, I, I'm like in the drive-by right now. And you are charging this bus right into Budweiser Gardens. Keep yeah, it up. The, the London arena, Mike. Um, I'm not giving it a name. <laughs> it's because i'm sorry i have to like it's i'm just i find it humorous that everybody uh piles on the london knights and it seems like it's a 19 team fan base hatred towards them and rightfully so they're good <laughs> like I, I give them props too they're good you can't hate them for do, their success yeah and I every hate them for other reasons every league every competition needs a heel and yeah. the Ontario hockey league has one and that's London. Why I'll tell, tell me what. they don't wear it too. They love it. Absolutely. I'll right? tell you what. So let me tell you a little story at, at the end of this. First of all, what I legitimately do hate the arena is way too cold. Yes. My goodness gracious. If we were there for playoffs in April, which we have been, you still need your long underwear. It's ridiculous. Number two, for a franchise with as much money as the London Knights, you need to do better in the media room. And I'm sorry to be that guy, but when you're bobbing for bottles of water and you're lucky to get one and the coffee is just mediocre, I'll just not use a bad word. There. Like, stop. It's slop. You can do much better. And you might, if you're lucky, you'll find a piece of pizza sometime, maybe a quarter of a sandwich. You've had some good pasta in there recently. When? Okay, there have yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Good pasta. But here's the story. You want to talk about loving the heel role. I'll I remember I was still uh I was still working with Don and his name's gonna come up later in this uh before we get to our guests on this podcast as well. Don Cameron, of course. And we pulled into the London arena, as you like to call it, for a playoff game. Thank and you. the the knights were uh <laughs> you just don't like the beer. That's the namesake. Anyway, we pull into the arena. And the London Knights were out doing the warmups that you and I see all the time and any fans mm-hmm. that might get down into the bowels of the arena, but they're doing their stretching there. They're playing some sewer. They're kicking a soccer ball, whatever the case is. And I promise you it was deliberate. They were set up and doing their pregame stretching, soccer balling, sewering right where the bus was pulling in. So they still do. They had well, but not not like this, Chris. Like, yes, that's still their area, but on this particular night, I promise you, they were deliberately in the path 
of the bus. Gotcha. They they had to move so the bus could pull in. And they didn't move with any, you know, spirit in their step. Yes. Let's say it was the and then it was it was a it was a walk. It was a strut. It was you're in our house and I'm sorry if we were in the way of your bus. Even Don said to me, Oh, somebody's ready for the game tonight. <laughs> and it was the London Knights. I respect that. I really sure. do. Sending a message to the team coming in. Who wants to go play them after that? <laughs> anyway, congrats on winning the draft lottery. So that's cool. Okay, but um, they, they you know have what? it. Let's stop it. They're going to do a draft lottery. Okay, and London might win it, but anyway. They're going to do a draft lottery, and it's a computerized numerical system. Uh, a legal or a lawyer will be there, and his yeah. name may or may not be Schmael Schmunter. No, no. Um, his, he's going to oversee it. His name is Robert Bain. Okay, he's from my second London. favorite law firm, uh, Fillion, Wakeley, Thorup, Angeletti. My first, oh, my, that one. Yeah, from London. No, it's not. It's from, yeah. but my, my favorite law firm is Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. But anyway, Robert Bain, <laughs> if that's his real name, uh, yeah, will be overseeing the randomly computer generated number that will determine the winner of the, the draft lottery. It's the law firms from Toronto. There, there are no, OHL teams in the GTA. What? That wasn't nice. Wow. Sorry. Wow. Okay. There is one, but nobody knows it's there. That's all. Hello. You're That's not off. nice to the, all those kids I that know. love the steelheads. You're pissing off London. I'm pissing off Mississauga. We Sorry. piss off people. Um, in all seriousness, though, I do love. Sorry, I pick on London because it's fun. And, and, and to be quite honest, I'm happy we have something to talk about other than a failed season. Yeah, we you know? can talk about the draft lottery. We don't exactly. have to, but you don't have to. You don't have to pick on the knights just because you're talking about the draft lottery. That's, That's where fair. you're running wrong here. That's where you're running a foul. I will never miss a chance to take, take a <laughs> shot. There, Lord knows they've taken their shots on the rest of this league over the last twenty years re- repeatedly. Um, anyway, I, I love the draft lottery. I think it's a cool idea. It's a good idea. Um, and I like that they're now doing this this draft. It's going to be a snake draft, or as they put it, a serpent draft. <laughs> serpentine. Serpentine. Yeah, yeah it's like the Whatever. serpentine belt in your serpentine. car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you basically invert the order. So you go top to bottom in the first round, and then bottom to top in the second, so on and so forth. So when you're picking um, 20th, eh, you know, because you're picking 20th and 21st. You get two players. Yeah. There you go. Right? I like it. So you're, the London Knights may get first overall pick, but then they get, what, pick 40. And then 41. Yeah. Mind you. But yeah, it's. Uh, we could go down the whole number list here if we really want to. Mike. Do we really want to do that? Do we really? <laughs> Lord, I couldn't. Lord knows you could. I couldn't. Of course, I'm an excellent driver. Yes. So, well, it'll be interesting. Why not? After a, a completely lost season for the OHL, do something a little different. It gets fans. You can already tell just by looking at Twitter, fans are kind of excited about this. It gives them something to look forward to in in early june what is it the third fourth or fourth fifth and anyway fourth fifth fourth fifth yeah, yeah the yeah. first three rounds and yeah and first time it's a two-day draft too. there you go so yeah. prime this, time seven o'clock on the fourth at least we get to talk about something league related that's not will they play will they not play but, listen i just want to know what i'm supposed to do now two days i have to be sitting watching my computer and i have to tweet out the seventh and twelfth round pick late on that the fifth well, what else are you going to be doing, Popper? It's we're we're under a stay-at-home order. I'm kidding. Come on, I, I know. So going back I hope to they your... YouTube, someone oh. reached out and said we should do a live uh, 
live show during the uh, lottery. Can you imagine? The OHL gets professionals to do this, not us too. Listen, as much as OHL fans can be passionate, I don't know that the audience is going to be so big that they need to bring in the likes of Chris Pope for this. Let's just <laughs> give it to Terry Doyle. Yeah, handle it. It'll exactly. be fine. Yeah. Bring give in it to the Terry. Professionals, <laughs> not us. So back to where we started all of this and you being the muckraker, the mud slinger, the pot stirrer, not me. I'm innocent. By the way, Dale Hunter, please come on our podcast. <laughs> please. At Farwell underscore OHL. Terrified. At underscore Chris Pope. The email address is farwellandpope at gmail.com. Send us an email about somebody you'd like to see on the podcast. But seriously, Dale, I- I'm sure you're listening. Email us. Let us know when is good for you. We'll we'll make it work on our end. I'm sure this can happen. Uh, by the way, leave a rating for the podcast too, please. We love it. Uh, give us some feedback. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want more of, what you want less of. You can't get less hair. This is maximum hair on the this podcast. And there is none. Anyway, so you're stirring the pot and you got the, the London Knights Twitter account engaged in this. And that makes me think about how well, I don't know if this has been like, if it's one person from the league that's managing all the Twitter accounts or no. if the teams have just decided that they're investing in some manner in their social media presence. But number one with a bullet for me is the Oshawa Generals. Lots of teams having lots of fun on social right now. Good on them. I love it. And I think that each team has their own person who looks after that. But it's on the team to kind of take the reins off a little bit. You know, let a lot of these do this. That let yeah. somebody have some fun on social media. It's not some teams use it as a dump for I, I say dump a dump for links to their website, right? This is what promotion we have going on. Here's how you get your tickets. Look at this video clip of our former player. And that's fine. But then other teams like the Oshawa Generals have kind of said, go have some fun with it. Get, in, get people engaged. And I love it because that's what makes social media so much fun, especially a time like now. You know, it kind of gets a little monotonous. And I think those people that are able to have the, the reins loosened a little bit, like whoever's running the Jens account is doing just a fantastic job. And I like that the Knights, you know, tweeted me back after I said that the London Knights would win the draft lottery next Wednesday. So uh, kudos to them. I love it. It's great. Thank you very much. And I think it's funny. Anytime, anytime you can add a little humor, it's hockey. Well, that's just Why it. are we taking it, things so serious? Exactly what I was going to say. This is sports. Have some fun with it. I'm honestly, though, just from a strictly economic perspective, I'm not saying the people behind these accounts are making big bucks, but I just no. thought in a season where you brought in $0 and zero cents by way of revenue, there's some level of commitment there's got to be. You're not mm-hmm. unless this is somebody doing it all for free. And if that if that's the case, you're doing really good free work, right? <laughs> in Oshawa. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's I love. Well, and it's a growing like social media is continuing to grow. It's only getting bigger, you know. And if you can expand your audience as a OHL team, why not? Um, I really I really like it. I, sports is supposed to be fun, you know. Me, us joking around with the London Knights, like it's fun. We we don't actually hate, like Dale. I'm, I wouldn't say I hate Dale Hunter. I respect the hell out of the guy. But am I going to chirp them because this team's good and because they're the you know the bad guy in the league? Of course, but it's fun. Have some fun. Yeah, and the fact that they're engaging in that fun and and wear the heels roll as well yeah. as they do, absolutely, right. do it up. So speaking of that, it's it's kind of funny because you and I had OHL Commissioner David Branch on this podcast uh, a month or two ago. I, I'm getting all the times mixed up, but recently anyway. 
and and for for whatever reason social media came up and and david branch admitted that he's there but more as just to keep an eye on things he doesn't maintain an active presence on social media he's got a burner account <laughs> as they call it hey uh, do i have a, a twitter account no do i follow it yes and instagram you know tiktok you name it <laughs> That you're a step ahead of us. David Branch just <laughs> mentioned TikTok. That is awesome. OHL commissioner with burner social media accounts. Yeah. I love it. Well, I happen to be listening to 31 Thoughts, our uh, Rogers colleagues, uh, Elliot Friedman and, and Jeff Merrick on 31 Thoughts. And they were speaking recently with Gilles Courteau, who is the commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Now, I'll tell you what, I could tell you Courteau's stories. I'll, I met him for the first time at the Memorial Cup in 2011. And this guy, he's, he's a presence. He's, he's a, he's a, he fills a room, but in a, in a very good way. And listen, I, I call them the Cowboys over there in the queue because there's just something different about that yep. third of the Canadian Hockey League. But much like the London Knights wearing the heel roll well in the OHL, I think uh, Gilles Corteau and, and the Quebec League wear their status as the kind of cowboy version of the, Canadian Hockey League very well and he's a very interesting guy. Turns out that we we learned through American Friedman that Corto is not just on social media but he's active on social media. I remember two years ago it was just uh, after a game and I uh, just walked by a couple of players that uh, they were leaving dressing rooms and all that and uh, one of the players uh, just stopped and turned around and uh, he says, hey, Mr. Corto, just want to let you know that we really appreciate the fact that you're on, on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm on Twitter. And he says, uh, it's very nice of you, your comments and everything. So we really appreciate it that, that uh, our league commissioner is uh, on social media and uh, we're able to follow him. And, uh, you know, uh, we really like the fact that uh, you give opinions and uh, make comments. And it's nice when I say, hey, congrats to uh, Joe Smith because uh, you reach uh, 35 goals this year. And, uh, you know, uh, you had a good season. Best of luck for the rest of the season and all that. So they like it. And uh, I know that sometimes, you know, it's not always uh, nice and uh, easy to be on social media, but it's part of the game. And the fact that the players love it, I think is uh, is really cool. The players in the queue think it's great that their commissioner is not only on social media, but engages with them on it. Maybe after our interview, when I asked Mr. Branch if the league could start tweeting suspensions and disciplinary action, a simple tweet, again, social media, it's kind of a big deal nowadays. Um, maybe after the comment there that I made to him, maybe he'll actually get an account and start tweeting those suspensions instead of media having to search through five different pages on their website to try to find a suspension for the game that night. I'm more interested in finding out if he takes under advisement and moves it to a governor's meeting, the changes to the three-star yeah. selections, because we've heard people make jokes now that the OHL season has been canceled. At least there weren't any complaints about the three-star selections. He, d he did say that we might've had some, you know, decent points raised about yeah. the problems with the three stars, but thinking about Dave branch with a burner social media account, what do you think his handle is? I, I just want to know what he thinks and how many <laughs> of my disparaging right? tweets he reads. Yeah. Good looking guy 27. David Branch, that's his burner account. What was that? What guy? Good looking, good looking guy 27. <laughs> uh, uh, commissioner since commissioners were invented. I don't know. Yeah. Like 
Honestly. Go, go Knights, go. <laughs> now we're going to get another tweet from the London Knights account. Way to go. <laughs> it's all on you, at underscore Chris Pope. Go get him, Knights. He's oh, all good, yours. That's and a good one. Please let Dale, uh, let Dale onto the podcast with us. Uh, you know, a guy that uh, was never on social media, but we did start the hashtag Don Cameronisms. In fact, if you check it out, still alive gotta, gotta love the internet it's all still there yeah. and and some of them you know like uh he's trying to stick handle out of a phone booth uh he so many of them he he's uh he's a little bit of a hot dog but he forgot the mustard uh he went down to one knee and prayed that one into the net i mean there's these are just coming off the top of my head but uh he couldn't he couldn't score he couldn't buy a goal with a fistful of 20s or something like that lots of them anyway uh he <laughs> he Don Cameron, bless his heart, uh, used to re- used to refer to Twitter as the twatter. The twatter. Only Don uh, could get away with it. Uh, I, I think we should talk more about Don on this podcast. We should just do a podcast about Don. Um, but my favorite Don story, and I, I'm sure I've told it on this podcast before, but we were in the media room, and uh, Don, <laughs> you know, I know where you're going with this, uh, yeah. Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah. He, he's doing his patented Don during the media room, lean back in the chair, you know, and someone, we were talking about NCAA and someone goes, I, I don't like NCAA. I don't watch that. Like Gonzaga. Who, who knows what Gonzaga is? <laughs> On grounds this time, St. Elusius Gonzaga is a Irish saint. He died in 1720 of the plague. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> what don't you know? At this point, the room just burst out into laughter. Like, okay, fair enough, Don. Fair enough. And then he gets up from the table, puts a couple of buns from the media spread into his pocket and walks up to the broadcast booth. Yeah, where you go. And that is the legend. We could honestly tell Don Cameron stories all day. You're right. We could do a podcast just about Don Cameron stories. Uh, there's a reason we bring his name up on the beginning of this week's podcast. Real quick. There are too many. I don't know if I could pick a favorite, but I will say this. I'll never forget the first game, the first time I started working with Don and and we were our first road trip together. So this goes back at the time I was doing morning radio at the fan in Toronto and we were going to go on a road trip, Uh, started on a Thursday night in Barrie. Then it was off to Sudbury for a Friday night game. And I'm pretty sure we finished in the Sioux on the Sunday or did we do North Bay Saturday? I, I think that like was before North Bay. So anyway, it, I know it was Thursday, Barry, Friday, Sudbury. Remember, this is all brand new to me. So I get up in the morning, I, I leave my home in Kitchener at 2.30. Well, I get up at 2.30, leave at 3.15 to drive to Toronto to do the morning show, come back home and then go to catch the bus from Kitchener to Barry for the game that night. And so I get home, I, I pack up, I, I didn't have time to get a nap, I don't sleep well on the bus, yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, you're in Barry, you're doing a game, you get on the bus, and you drive all the way up to Sudbury. So we're in Sudbury roughly 1, 1.30, and by this point, I've been up for almost 24 hours, and I am so ready to go to bed. But remember, first, first road trip with the legendary Don Cameron, and we get to the hotel, and we op- I open the door to the room and I hold it for Don and Don walks in, stops at the bed closest to the door because that's where that's the bed that Don always chose. I walk past him, throw my suitcase up on the bed to, you know, unpack what I need and set it aside. And by the time I've done that 
really little bit of, you know, in-room maintenance. I turn and he's got, I hear the zipper of his bag and there are two cans of beer being set down on the dresser top in front of the TV. Uh, you're welcome to have one if you'd like one. I didn't bring any beer. Now I'm going to, am I going to drink Don Cameron's beer? And by the way, I've been up for 23 hours at this point and the man that's 30 years my senior is still raring to go. Needless to say, bro, I such a pro. I had more than one beer with Don that night, and that was the beginning of many an opportunity to sit around after getting off the bus, after broadcasting a game, to talk about hockey, to talk about life, and to just listen to that guy. And anyway, I could tell lots, but that's the one that comes to mind as we uh, reflect on Don for good reason this week. Did you have his beer? I had two of his beers. Oh. Like I didn't have any. I felt like a sh- I didn't know that's how it worked. I didn't. I didn't know we'd get on a bus and go right up to. Like I didn't know how. Who any went of to this bed stuff first? Worked. That's what I want to know. Who went I, to bed first? Then, I, in, in in all honesty, I think that time, uh, it was kind of a mutual. It was around four o'clock in the morning, and we're like, okay, let's call it a night. Uh, in fairness, I as I got more comfortable, I would at times say to Don, "Listen, I'm." Now you're going to make me tell another and I'll make it quick. I'd be like, Don, look, <laughs> I'm going to tell the whole story. I'm like, you Don, I, I, I'm one and done. I, I just, I'm tired. Like I'm really tired. And I, I know I shouldn't be compared to a lot of other things and a lot of other people, but I'm, I'm one and done. And every once in a while he'd throw in the little dig. Okay, Gary, as in Gary Doyle, Gary, we love you. Gary's been on the podcast too, but Gary didn't indulge Don with the beers after a road trip. So I was more than happy. I, I do love my beer. Uh, so sometimes I do that and I'll never forget the one time I'm like, honestly, Don, I'm, I'm one and done. I got to get some sleep tonight. He says, that's, that's okay. I'm just going to have one more. <laughs> and the next morning I woke up six empty beer cans across the top of the dresser. I had one. He was going to have one more after I called it a night. What a gem of a human being that guy sure. was and could drink like a fish. When he does it, he's a gem. When I do it, I have an issue. <laughs> he didn't. He never got cut off at Applebee's in Erie. You, my friend. Have, have you have. ever lived if you haven't? <laughs> um, anyway, we bring up Don because uh, the 29th, so this comes out Friday, so yesterday, was the three-year anniversary of his final broadcast on the radio station calling uh, Kitchener Ranger games. I have it in my, uh, in my calendar as a reminder because it is the only game I ever called with Don. It's in my Twitter bio. I called one game with Don Cameron. <laughs> and it was it was a big game. Game six, Rangers, Sue, Cole Sherwood, overtime winner. You called the overtime with him, and he had that famous call. Puck in the Sioux St. Marie zone. That was cleared weekly. Little more. They score! Rangers have scored! The game is over. They play tomorrow night. And it was just a perfect moment, really. It's funny because it forced the game seven back up in the Sioux. Uh, you and I hopped on. We actually had a team charter that night and flew. We beat we beat the Sioux back to Sault Ste. Marie. They took mm-hmm. the bus. We were we were sitting. Speaking of drinking beer, we were having a beer in the uh, hotel lobby bar in Sault Ste. Marie when the Greyhounds rolled in, uh, and and the the Rangers were there well ahead of time. Anyway. Uh, so that forces the game seven that the Rangers obviously lose and the Greyhounds go on to win the Western conference championship. But what the interesting thing that to me is that 
the last game that Don called because he passed away that summer in, in June of 2018 was the last win for the Rangers that season. So it, to me, it was really perfect because even though Don, a lot of people say retired, he always said stepped away from broadcasting the games. He was always there to fill in when we needed somebody. And he just happened to be there to call the final win of that Rangers season before he passed away in that summer of the off season of 2018. You, um, <laughs> we, we have to, for people who don't know and don't listen regularly, we have a lot of commercials we have to fit in during a period during a normal broadcast. And Don hadn't called a game in a couple, I think it was like a year, maybe a year and a half. <clears throat> and you said, you might have to just like remind them, like, you know, we got to get these breaks in. And we always use the mid period break to get a lot of the commercials. in. I think we can normally get three or four in. Well, mid-period break goes, Don's just starting a story. And I'm like, oh, man, we have so many commercials to get in. And I'm like, if Farwell thinks for one second I am about to interrupt Don Cameron at any point during this broadcast, you are out to lunch. Send me, like I was thinking, if the radio station contacts me and goes, why didn't you get those commercials in? Just give me a call. Tell me how much I owe. The commercials aren't getting in. I don't care. Like I'm, You interrupt Don. Not a chance. Don eventually goes like the period started back up and he goes, Oh, I guess we could have taken a break there. Don, you just do whatever you want, buddy. I'm just long for the ride here. He probably oh. thought I was the worst color commentator. Cause I might've said 10 words that game. I'm just sitting there like this watching him. <laughs> you go, buddy. I, I found myself in that same kind of situation when I was doing color for him as well. Cause there are times you just get caught in the soundtrack of his voice. And I'm like, Oh, wait, this is my turn to fill something in. Oh, I better have some analysis here of some kind. Nope. I'm like, I was, I was listening to him. I, yeah. I assume you were too, you know, thinking of the listener on the other end. Yeah. They don't want to hear me. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> anyway, three years ago. Great, uh, great memory and, and a great bookend to the, the terrific career. There's a reason that Don's banner is hanging up in the rafters of the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. And, and of course, sorry, I was just going to say during this whole thing, um, or during this whole COVID thing, the Rangers continued on Don Cameron Potato Night, which also links into our guest this week. I was just going to point out that oh. the guests this week would know Don Cameron as well, because that's how long the man was associated with the Kitchener Rangers Hockey Club. Yes, two Rangers joining us this week. If you've read the title of the podcast, you already know who they are. Uh, Jason Burns, a former captain of the Rangers and one of Don's favorites, I would assume, just based on where he came from and where he currently resides we'll let you figure that out in the podcast here's jason burns and darcy harris well i was in conversation with uh, a fellow by the name of joe birch earlier today i don't know he's, he's a hack now some he's some executive you know paper pusher with a an ontario hockey league team but also happens to be a former teammate of the teammates who are on the podcast with us right now former kitchener rangers captain jason burns and former Kitchener Rangers, how do we how do we refer to you, Darcy? Tough guy, hired oh, sure. gun, <laughs> Darcy Harris, Jason Burns. <laughs> Guys, thanks for doing this. No problem. Thank you for having us, Burnsy. I, I see a Kitchener Rangers sign over your right shoulder here for people watching on YouTube. What do you got over there? That was a little gift from the old dressing room. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough to play in a new one that they have now. That was uh, my last year. They were building it. And then I was able to get this off the old room. So a little keepsake. Now, hang on a second. I, I know that old room. I recognize that sign. Was it 
given to you, Bernsey, or did you just help yourself on the way out the door? <laughs> oh, for sure it was given to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's his story, eh? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get your hands on that? Who gave that to you? I'm I think jealous. it's actually off of our old stick room. It was, wasn't part of the dress room, but it was another room that was probably not going to be in use anymore. So, Across the hall. Yeah, being a, a bit of a veteran by then, I, I had some pull around there and was able to get my hands on it. It's a room Danny would never let us in. I exactly. see. That's how I wondered. He, he keeps a pretty close uh, eye on these things, and all of a sudden, Bernsey's got this little sign behind him that he got out from the room and under Danny's watchful eye. Danny it might have even been more uh, Peter Burrell. You remember Peter Burrell? Oh, yeah. Danny's yeah. assistant uh, trainer. So that's where he did all the skate sharpening. So that's probably... I was always going in there to get skate sharpen or maybe a new stick, and he happened to pass it on to me. I got to ask, as you two both sit here on a Zoom call with a couple other bald fellas, when, you know, Bernsey, when, when you see his face pop up, what's the first story that comes to your mind about Darcy? Uh, just, like, honestly, the ultimate teammate uh, came, came to our team my second year, I believe, or third year, right, Darcy? Uh, yeah, we played. Yeah, I just played there two years. You were you were a captain both years. I didn't know much about him. We kind of showed up to camp and had a bit of a rep of as a maybe the new fighter in town. And honestly, I don't back then. Maybe what were you one eighty, one eighty five? Soaking wet with so, change in my pocket. <laughs> so yeah, not your typical like when you talk about guys that fought a lot. Like most guys were pushing two hundred plus, right? But he soon uh, earned the reputation that. Uh, he was to be reckoned with and one of the tougher guys in the league. Uh, real laid back, excellent teammate. And yeah. Darcy. Darcy, what about you? When I see what well, first thing I thought of is geez, Burns, he's bald like me now, too. I don't feel so bad, but <laughs> um it was a few stories I know. Um I just about Jason himself as he was our captain. I guess it was my second year. Uh your last year, Jason, you were our captain. I think we had Pat my first year and in your second last year, but um, no, he was a great captain and kind of, the, you know, he said nice words about me there, Bernsey. The same thing back to you, the perfect teammate, you know, that he would never, he didn't, even as a captain, didn't say a ton in the room, didn't have to, because uh, his actions spoke louder than words. And, and when he did speak, you know, you listened because uh, it didn't happen too often that he would step up and, and really have to say something to put us in our place or to get things going. But when he did, we all listened. Um, just his actions on the ice and off the ice. You couldn't ask for a better teammate, couldn't ask for a better captain. Um, he would never ask you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself and put his heart and soul uh, into every single shift, never took a shift off. Um, come back from shoulder surgery, that couldn't have been easy. Uh, and just jumped right back in and led the way for us. So, yeah. Darcy, I've always been curious how a kid from Prince Edward Island ends up playing for the Kitchener, Ontario Rangers. How did that all come about? Well, I was actually an overage draft as well. I didn't get drafted in my draft year. I only played the two years in Kitchener and then went to the American League. I, I, had, uh, I played Junior A the year before. I didn't play my last year midget and midget. I played with the Caps, uh, Summerside Western Capitals. Gerard Gallant was actually had just returned home from from playing pro hockey um, to coach. And I ended up playing with them 
And he had some scouts come and look. We had another guy by the name of Morgan Warren who ended up becoming a pretty good junior player. He was drafted first round. I think he put his name in the Quebec League and went to Moncton. He might have been first overall, actually. Anyway, he was two years younger than I was. So scouts were coming to watch him. Um, they, they started to take notice and, hey, this kid, myself, I, that I'm not a junior age kid yet either. And Bob Ertle, if you can remember the name Bob Ertle, his son, Tyler, was playing at UPDI, going to the university in Charlottetown. So uh, when Bob was down to watch his son, uh, he came to a couple of the Caps games, and I guess I piqued his interest. But all through that year, Cam Loops wanted – I sent Cam Loops some video. They, they had heard about me. I sent some videos to them, and they told me not to put my name in any draft at the time – it was different for us coming from PEI. We we didn't have to go to the Quebec League. We didn't have to go. Uh, we didn't. There was no rights to us because we didn't have a Quebec League team. Your draft year, I believe, you could only choose the OHL or the Quebec Major League. But I didn't get drafted in my draft year. So as the overage, I could I, overage draft. I could put my name in any league I wanted or not. And I was planning just to go to Kamloops, but then several teams from from the OHL started to, to ask about you know, want me to put my name in the draft. So I did, I put my name in and decided uh, my uncle was a pilot with Air Canada. So I, my dad and I flew up for the draft, which happened to be in Kitchener. Uh, so we sat in the odd and, and I got drafted to Kitchener. That's kind of how it happened, but I couldn't have asked for anything better. What a great city. Absolutely loved it there. Still my fondest memories playing hockey are still from junior in Kitchener. So. Burns, you grew up in Brockville playing for the Braves. Were you were you a little kid going to those games and then putting on that jersey at one point? Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. Every Friday night, we like to go to the games. Uh, long history with the organization, with guys that have played in the NHL. And, yeah, I was very fortunate enough to play there and uh, got drafted from there to Kitchener. Uh, our draft was in Belleville that year. Honestly, didn't know much about Kitchener. I really didn't even know where it was. I'd asked my parents after I got drafted. They're like, oh, it's about five hours away. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty far. And like you said, you you move you move away from home at a young age. And uh it's very fortunate at the time because uh, no better organization it turned out to it, it was kind of like according to my agent, top three or four organizations in the CHL at the time. And that was at the time, right? So I was very fortunate enough to 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 land there and uh enjoyed my four years here. Yeah, and then some, though. I just saw you last summer. You didn't leave. You didn't go back to Brockville. Darcy's taken off back to the island, but you're still hanging around, Burnsy. Yeah, I did end up back here. I, I played one year in the East Coast League and then uh, spent some time in Halifax at St. Mary's University, but I was fortunate enough to meet my wife here my last year of junior, and uh, that's where I ended up. She brought <laughs> me back here, yeah. I got to ask, Burnsy, you mentioned you know playing uh, playing pro. Played under uh bob mcgill at one point tough guy for the leafs back in the day and like i mean tough guy what was he like as a coach oh he was an awesome awesome coach real a real players coach i think he had been there and played at a high level and understood what how to keep the players happy but it was uh some awesome bus rides sitting up front listening to his stories and then of course now with youtube and everything you get to search all of his fights and and the way he played right yeah he was I still keep in contact the odd time and on social media and yeah, just a great coach. Speaking of tough guys, Darcy, it's already been brought up by Bernsey. You were one of the smaller guys for the guys that would generally get involved in that sort of thing. But 
when your name comes up in connection to your time in the Ontario Hockey League, that's what people remember. Fearless is a description I hear about you a lot. Did you feel that you had to play that way to make a mark in this league so far from home, or was that just Darcy Harris's style? Um, I was a little bit of both, I think. Um, growing up, I, I just I had no respect for my body in any anything I did. That, playing ball hockey in the backyard it did, didn't matter what it was I didn't have any respect for my own body but um I, I like playing physical and in midget there was I had a, one or two fights you know midget fights you get in the scrum and your helmets are on you're throwing with your glove nothing serious and then played the year uh, of junior a uh, with Gerard Gallant in Summerside and there's I was it's a fairly tough league it's a little bit of an older league lots of guys like Lots of guys will come cut from the OHL, come back, come down to play in the Maritime League. And um, I did have some fights there and I, I figured out that I could handle myself all right. And But when I went to Kitchener, it, it was a bit of a, you know, the island kid away from home and kind of to hell with everybody kind of thing. Um, I figured if I, I had to make my own room, I guess. And uh, yeah, I just, I just had that. I had it in me. I just was fear. I was fearless, I guess. And, um, you know, it's, I took everything as a challenge. I, I get knocked around. I mean, I get knocked on my rear end and the challenge is to get back up and try to put him in his ass next time. And I just, I took everything as a challenge, you know, and, that, and that's kind of the way I, I looked at, I looked at hockey in general until I pretty much till I stopped. Tamed down quite a bit. By the time I played Burnsy in university, I had uh, tamed down quite a bit, but that's just because of the league rules, I think. Had I think we all did by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Gallant just, sorry, you mentioned Gallant just came back from pro. How, how was Turk as a coach at that point? Uh, he was great. Um, he was, he was trying to, obviously not quite as, as maybe as uh, refined as he is now. Uh, he was straight out of playing. He, he had, his career didn't really end the way he wanted it to end either. He ended up in the IHL uh, at the end of it. He was, he went back to Detroit to play with the Vipers. He was really wanting to get back in the show, but um, that, that he seen the writing on the wall. So he, he got that of, I think halfway through the year, he ended up coming back to Summerside and, taking on the coaching job there, the team the next year was hosting the, the Royal Bank Cup. So they, they actually won it under his uh, his guidance, but great coach. He got the most out of his players. Uh, as you know, he, he's a player's coach. You see it today. He's still, he's a player's coach. Um, really knows how to get the best out of his players. And you, you don't want to, you don't want to disappoint him because not because he's going to come down on you, but you don't want to disappoint him because of who he was and the way he played in the NHL, same as, like I mentioned about Burdens, he's leadership in the room. Gerard's is the same. You don't, he doesn't ask you to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. So he, you kind of, you kind of can't really let him down. <laughs> you kind of have to do it. Jason, let's talk about that leadership because the C in hockey, we all know what that means, but you had it on your Jersey in Kitchener for two seasons. Take us back to the moment that they said, Hey, here's this letter and it's going on your Jersey. Yeah. I think it goes back to the summer uh, from my third to fourth year. <clears throat> uh, Jeff Ward kind of approached me and said, you know, we'd, we're looking at giving you the captain next year and uh, we think you can handle it and uh, be a good leader. And 
honestly, it was probably the greatest honor I'd had going into my entire hockey career. Um, just with the history of the Rangers, everyone that's worn in the past, the fan base, I just took it with great honor. And like Darcy said, I don't think I was really too overspoken in the dressing room. I just kind of, kind of like Darcy, he was pretty quiet too in the dressing room. But, you know, like we just tried to set, set an example, especially going into our, my fourth year of his very young team, a lot of young guys. Um, we weren't expected to do too much. Like we were pretty well playoff, maybe, right? We were maybe going to make the playoffs, but uh, we took it upon ourselves just to lead by example and show everyone what it took to be a Ranger. And it's every night putting that jersey on with, uh, with respect and honor and um, backing each other up. What did you guys think of that logo back in the day with the crest? <laughs> the cartoon? I'm not going to lie. I wish I had the opportunity just to wear the Rangers across the front. Uh, it was kind of that, you know, at the time, a lot of teams were going to that, right, to try to a little bit more marketing move and try to sell more jerseys. And, yeah, I was uh, pretty upset. I didn't get a chance just to wear the normal Rangers across the front, but it is what yeah. it is. I agree with you. I, I was back a couple of years ago. I took students to a student leadership conference that was held in Waterloo, and I got to drop the puck at one of the Rangers games. The, the last thing, I think it was, uh, it might have been Campbell, had said to me, coming to pick me up. I said, hey, I brought my jersey. Can I wear that? And uh, he said, no, we don't wear that one anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you forget those times. Yeah, we all try to forget. It was not a, it, actually, the Rangers just did a fundraiser uh, during COVID and they, they sold T-shirts. They called them the retro tee. It was a fundraiser. So, you know, it's kind of fun to maybe put it on a T-shirt to raise some money, but... Uh, Who yeah. knows how much money they raised. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of fundraising, Darcy, you were, along with, of course, your fellow Prince Edward Islander, Don Cameron, but you were right here when, when the potato night began, which became Don Cameron potato night, but you were no small part of that when it was first launched back in the mid-1990s. How did that all come about, and how does that make the kid from the island feel here in, in the region of Waterloo? I was pumped. I, I was uh, really excited to be asked. I was, it was during my first year, and they had said, hey, this uh, local local organization does this. We want to get this potato blitz going, this for, like a food drive for the food bank. And I said, okay, what, what, do, you, what do you need or what are you looking for? They, they they had to ask the if I you know do a couple of some photo ops with it and kind of not really be the face of it that was more Don but just kind of lend some support I was all over it's something to get my name in the paper and uh, maybe some fans uh, maybe learn a little more about me but uh, so I was really excited to be part of it and I remember the first year I think they had me flipping potatoes into the into the net that was kind of the picture that they had in the paper. And, um, I was pretty excited about it. Called my parents and and told them about it after the fact. They didn't really know that it was going on. I think the Rangers had donated my weight of potatoes the first year, but then the second year, my family got involved. They they were they were um, they sent I think a thousand pounds maybe they shipped up a thousand pounds of potatoes or something uh, for the cost. So yeah, it was, uh, something neat. I was I was excited to be part of it and do something for the community and, and kind of feel a little bit more part of the community, not so much as uh, someone came from away. So, You mentioned shooting pucks or shooting potatoes into the net. 
your video during COVID just this past <laughs> year, you were shooting potatoes in the net. So I don't know if much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was kind of my design. I thought, ah, oh, you know what, this is what we did the first year that I was involved with it. So I'll, I'll get my kids involved this year. We'll, we'll flip some potatoes into the net too. So. As an Islander real quick, what's the best way to eat a potato? Oh, I love them baked. Actually, my wife makes twice baked potatoes and they're delicious. So I have to say <laughs> twice baked potatoes. Bernsey, I mentioned his name at the beginning of this conversation, uh, but I'm going to bring it up again, Joe Birch, because when I talked to him earlier today, he said, oh, yeah. So I was a young, you know, trying to make my mark rookie at training camp, his first camp with the Kitchener Rangers, and he decided to make his mark. He had to drop him against you. He said it didn't go so well for him. Do you remember fighting Joe Birch when he was a rookie? I'm not Your teammate. Sure. I actually do remember that. I'm not too sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I don't really remember fighting. I, I think I remember fighting, uh, well, the guy from uh, Sudbury, uh, Darius. You have to help me out. That we drafted from Sudbury or from uh, Thunder Bay. Um, oh, Barry oh. Graham. Barry Graham, yeah, yeah, the Barry guy, yeah, Graham. yeah. I don't Smoke remember fighting Birchie. Yeah. He's always got a better memory than I do. No. Well, maybe you left an impression on him, Burns. Maybe that's why. Well, maybe I did. Yeah, <laughs> one-sided, one quick times, one for yeah. sure. <laughs> You guys mentioned just Sudbury. I'm going to bring it up. February 10th, 1998. I watched a great YouTube video. What on earth happened in that game, gentlemen? You, you want to tell you tell your version, Bernsey, that I'll tell what I remember. That's what we're looking for here. Exactly. Same situation. Who remembers it? How? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it was a few incidents that game, right? The, uh, Something happened over at the at the bench. I think in the yeah. third, second, or third period. I'm not too sure. I ended up down on the it, ground, it whatever. The and then because I was the Mark, Mark Man came out of nowhere, and uh, things erupted pretty quickly. <laughs> and then uh, that got separated. And towards the end of the games, I remember being down by their net, and the buzzard went. And uh, Jason Sands, I don't know if you remember that name from Sudbury, grew up in Kingston, and. Uh, something happened between me and him, and then everything just erupted. And by accident, both teams were on the ice by then. But uh, and I love, one of the best images I remember was Danny LeBold running out on the ice, trying to trying to separate the goalies at the time. <laughs> and I remember Darcy and oh, who was the guy that you were fighting that time? Kip Brennan. Kip Brennan. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, this thing backing each other up once again, and. Uh, we never, uh, never shied away from it. <laughs> all right, Darcy, this sounds like uh, Bernsey was completely innocent in all of this. He's just a bystander. Let's have the real story here. What went on? Honestly, I was changing. And when I was getting to the bench, the boys were yelling. So I turned and looked and Bernsey was into it at the bench. I don't know what happened, but you were taking a swing at somebody in the bench or somebody was taking a swing at you. So the benches were on opposite sides at this point in the old Sudbury barn. So, so I turned on heel and I bolted across the ice and tried, I don't know why, literally tried to dive into the bench to hit whoever you were swinging with Burnsy. I don't know, never a good idea to try to win the other team's bench. So uh, I think Kip Brennan come off the bench and got a hold of me and they were tearing Mark McMahon apart too. And uh, anyway, all I really remember was the linesman had me and my arms were tied up and Brendan was just pounding on the back of my head. So I was thinking, you, I got to, at some point, I'll get them back. I had to bide my time. But anyway, finally, we get, they got everything settled down. And it, that was 
probably the maddest I ever was playing hockey. There was a dirty rumor. I'm not going to repeat it. We'll just go what they were saying about Kip Brennan at the time. But I remember being at the bench screaming across the ice and basically that I was going to kill them and, you know, not so nice stuff. So we, we got penalties. They didn't, we never get kicked out. They put us in the penalty box. The game went into overtime. They scored in overtime. So I was literally picking my gloves up. And I look and the benches are both cleared. So he and I look at each other. We come out of the penalty box and we start fighting again. And uh, <laughs> I was doing I was doing okay at this point. I was happy that I was kind of getting some revenge here. I get to hit him a few times. But uh, I think it was Gorman, our goalie, come up behind him while we were kind of wrestling and just blockered him, caught him. Yeah, 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 that's that's not that oh, Yeah. Green <laughs> yeah. shot too, right in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah. Caught him square the square the kisser. I was I was kind of happy though. <laughs> I think that that's who da- da- Danny was chasing across the ice was Gorman. Yeah, but it was just yeah. a little too late. Yeah. Yeah. And After think, the ice yeah. clears, sorry, Darce, go ahead. Well, I just uh, Corey Cooper was enough, he was for PEI as well playing. He was a goaltender for Sudbury, and I think him and Gorman were starting to square off, and that's where Danny and them came in and grabbed yeah. onto the goalies. Yeah. It's a great video for anyone who hasn't seen it. Just. <laughs> type in Rangers Wolves brawl. Danny Liebold is literally on shoes on the ice holding the Rangers goalie while two goalies are trying to fight each other. I don't know how he didn't lose a toe. Um, but after the ice is clear and you guys go back into the dressing room, what is that mood like and what is said after a line brawl like that at the end of the game? I think that kind of brings your team together, those kinds of those kinds of events. They don't they don't happen at all anymore. And they didn't happen with great frequency when we played, although you know there was always a lot of fighting in the era that, that Bernsey and I played in the OHL. I, I'm assuming if you looked at it historically, if you, if you went through the records, I'm, I'm just guessing that the mid to late nineties probably had the most fights probably per game or something. But um, I don't know. I always found them a good team builder. <laughs> it's like Bernsey said, you knew everybody, you had, you had each other's backs and you kind of, it was just kind of a good feeling. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we said much. I think we actually lost the game. Right. But yeah. Uh... We uh, we just kind of gave each other the look and said good job and waited back each other up, right? So when I think back to how this entire conversation came together, it was over Twitter and the two of you kind of interact with each other on Twitter. And there was a link shared by you, Bernsey, saying, oh, yeah, remember this. What do you guys think? now when you look back at those video clips of yourselves then what goes through your mind when you're watching the 16 17 18 year old you can i go ahead nurse here <laughs> i i don't know part of me part of me is like you idiot what were you doing like <laughs> you just could you not just stick to playing hockey but but then another part of me I, I, I'll never say that I was a clean hockey player. I, I wasn't the cleanest hockey player, that's for sure. But I rarely went out with the intent to, to get into a fight, like staged fighting. That I never did that very often. So usually my scraps come out of a come out of a scrum, come out of you know something was whenever somebody did something to, to someone else, like went by the bench and said something. Like I usually stepped up for that. But it's, there's a, another part of me that that part of me is proud of that I was did what I did and played how I played. But the other part of me is kind of like, you idiot, what were you, <laughs> what were you doing? 
Yeah, I think the the, the original tweet was a game against London, and I forget who they were playing, but someone on Twitter had made a comment about things getting out of hand, and I kind of mentioned to Darcy, and it looks like they're just shaking hands compared to when we played, right? But yeah, getting back to your point, I mean, I've there's been a few brawls I've been involved in, one against Sarnia in my first year where I actually ended up on their bench and the bench is cleared and long story short suspensions. And I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? Right. But like, we just kind of, we, we stuck together. Right. And I don't today, like even when I watch the Rangers nowadays, uh, they might be down four or five nothing at home and no one's like, I'm like, just send a message for the next game. Right. So it's definitely changed. I'm not embarrassed about it, but uh, I'm proud that like we stuck together and, and um, never backed down, and you wore the Rangers sweater with respect, right, and, and honor, right? So, Darius, don't take this the wrong way. In talking with you, you can kind of picture you having the wires cross a little bit. You know, you, <laughs> when you say you're a fighter, you're like, yep, okay, I can see that. Bernsey, I, I don't see that from you. You're real calm, real collected. Did, were you always that way, or were you the type of guy that when you were playing, when the wires cross, look out? So I think I just played hard between the whistles. And I think if you're going to do that, you're going to have to answer the, the call sometimes, right? But getting back to, I think Darcy, Darcy and I both had kind of a similar similar style. We didn't back down. We finished check. Back then, like finishing your check was very important. And it was a stat that was kept all the time, right? And But I think on the other hand, too, we did have some skill. And we were able to pretty well – you, you take honor in being able to play any whichever way you want to play, right? Whatever way the other team wants to play, if they want to play it that way, or you want to play a little bit of skill, I think we could both play uh, play whatever way they wanted to, right? What got you going in Sarnia that night? I think it was a line brawl that uh, it was one of those rivalries we had with Sarnia back then. I think there was probably ten or twelve rivalries you had, honestly. <laughs> that uh, the games always seemed to get out of control, but there was a line brawl and. Uh, ended up over by their bench and for some reason the door opened and I ended up on their bench and then their trainer ended up taking a swing at me and then well everyone's going to back each other up then right I think the bench is clear the coaches got involved ended up with a meeting with the league at the league office suspensions were handed out but it did bring the team together and you look back you're like oh what was I thinking but at the end of the day you know you back each other up no matter what right Darcy, did you notice there's Mr. Innocent again? Somehow the door to the bench opened and I was in the Sarnia bench. <laughs> I don't understand why he's always around the bench getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to continue this theme a little bit further because, Darcy, your name has come up before on this podcast for this very reason. Gary Doyle, who called the games along with Don Cameron, was telling us the story not too long ago of a time in Plymouth where it was towards the end of the game, the game was well in hand. And all of a sudden there was a fight between Darcy Harris and some kid. I don't think Gary even remembered the name, but either way, apparently the kid was sent off the bench and he was supposed to, he was supposed to fight. And he told you about it when you lined up for the face off and you, uh, you obliged Did that sort of thing happen. Do you recall that particular incident? Yeah, that was Pat Parthenay's. Um We had fought a couple of times, I believe. I think we fought in Kitchener one night as well. Um, and about that one, I, for a while, my hand was broke. My knuckle was broke for a little while. It was always swollen. And there was a fight with Sugden. I asked him the same thing. He, he had just got traded to Barry 
And I think we we're four seconds into the game in Kitchener one night and we squared off. He wanted to make a statement to his new team that he was, the, you know, so, and that was like our third time that we fought or our second time. He and I fought quite a bit too. But, um, kind of the same idea. My, my hand wasn't great. I asked Sugden to tie down and uh, he said, oh yeah, because he always come out of the stuff, right? So he went over and made this show with the, with the uh, trainer, like he was tying his shirt down and come out. And of course, everything come off him. Um, Pat Parthen, he came out and he was wanting to fight. And I said, man, I took my glove off. I remember taking my glove off and showing him, like, my hand's broke. But if, if you really need this, then we'll be, well, coach sent me out. I was like, all right, let's go then. So, you know, I good on him. He's, uh, he was a pretty tough young fellow. But, um, I, I don't think I, I can't, there's one, one time in my life I can remember saying no. And it's because my bench was telling me to say no. Of all people, Mike Terry and Michelle Terry, who, would never, I don't know why he told me no this night. He just liked to mess with you, I guess. Um, we were playing in Albany in the American League, and he, it was actually a former Canada Games teammate of mine, Carlisle Lewis, lined up beside me and asked me to fight, but we were winning. We were up 3 nothing or something. We were up by a few, and right in front of the bench, and Tarion's telling me, no, 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 you're not going, you're not going. And I was like, what? You're really telling me? So I had to say no. But so, that's the only time I can remember saying no to a fight. How how often is that the case? You talked earlier about not the staged fighting or anything, which is which is great, and I understand where you're coming from on that. But how how often is there a conversation, or do you know coming into a shift or a game that you and Sug, you and somebody, are going to to go? What's that like in a player that plays your role? I don't always know for sure if it's going to happen or not, but um, usually, you, you know, when you're playing another team, you're like, oh, okay, it, especially during that time frame, right? When you're talking mid to late nineties, um, you know who the other team has. And if you guys are going to be playing more than a few shifts against each other, you're eventually going to, it's going to happen sooner or later. Cause that was just the way the game was played then. And, um, the worst, the worst part, and I don't know, Burns, if, if you guys had the, the reports or not in, uh, in the coach, but in the American, they get have before the game, they came out with the stats, the stat report. So you'd be grabbing the sheet and you'd be flipping through it before the game, you know, and like, oh my God, they got so and so here. And oh, this guy's playing here. Great. So you're kind of in my head then. I, again, I was small, really, in the American League at that time. I was a small guy. I'd be like, okay, so Dave Morissette's going to take Jody Shelley. So I don't have to worry about Jody Shelley. And then we got, you, know, you start going through, and then I'm like, holy freak, there's just, every team had so many guys who could fight. Like I would have been a middleweight in the American. Like, that was the worst thing ever was those reports before the game. You, you'd pretty much know, Oh God, I'm going to be fighting one of these three guys before this night's over. It wasn't a great feeling knowing that, but. Bernsey, when you were in the coast, you were in Baton Rouge. What was it like down in Baton Rouge playing hockey? Yeah, it was uh, quite different. I remember being in a uh, training camp and it was, uh, 110 degrees we had training camp uh, I think it was in Lafayette or somewhere down the road but uh, even at on our rink we had no lines on the ice they hadn't painted the lines yet so we and then we had an exhibition in that game where we had to play the game where we had to go buy the lines on the boards like for the blue line red line blue line right so it was quite different but yeah just a great fan base and the hospitality was was awesome I enjoyed every minute I didn't play there very long I ran into some uh head injury so my season was cut was cut short but yeah great memories Bob McGill great stories and uh yeah 
What's one of the best stories McGill ever told you that you recall? I think he was like, he told the odd story when him and Probert used to fight. And I think the one night it was over by the Chicago bench. I think if you look on YouTube, you'll see it, but Probert got the better, better of it. Right. And uh, yeah, if you, if you search it on YouTube, you can find it. But yeah, I think him and Probert might've fought five or six times, but uh, he was a gamer too, kind of like Darcy, you know, and didn't, he wasn't the biggest guy either when you, when you talk about fighters, right. But never back down. Um, getting back to Darcy's story with the broken hand, it reminded me of a guy I played with my first year from the Island, Billy McGuigan. I'm sure Darcy uh, probably still keeps in touch with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Billy was a gamer. wasn't big, but fought pretty well every game, but had some skill too. I remember one night I was, uh, got put on his line because he had two broken hands or they were pretty banged up. And I think it was Wardy at the time saying, Hey, Bernsey, like if he gets into it, just try to get in there before he does and keep him separated because his two hands are broke. Right. So I remember lining up in a neutral zone one night and I, uh, that night and I was on his line and before the puck dropped, Billy's squaring off. And I'm like, <laughs> looking over at Wardy, I go, I didn't even have a chance to help the guy out, but yeah, just the ultimate gamer, right? Like, but he had skill too, right? Billy, Billy could put the puck in just like Darcy, right? Darcy, we talking a lot about the fisticuffs and, you know, tough teams, as Bernsey just mentioned. Your time in Fredericton, I looked it up one year. You were on the same team as uh, Terry Ryan, Aaron Asham, a bunch of other guys. That team averaged over 25 penalty minutes a game. What was it like playing on a team like that? It was awesome. Didn't have to <laughs> fight as much. <laughs> no, it, you, you would think it would be that way. You wouldn't have to fight as much, but no, it was not at all. Like the, you, you named Aaron Ashton and Terry Ryan. They were middleweights in, in the American League. Like we were, we were all. They were my two best friends, probably on that team, and we were small. Like we were small by those standards at that time. We had I had mentioned Dave Morris that he was moose. We call him. He wasn't tall, but he was he was as wide as he was. Thin. Like he's just a huge man. Um, he has some good fights with Probert and that. Like, he was our heavyweight. Sylvain Blouin was another guy. He was uh, one of our heavyweights. Alain Nazardine. Um, yeah, we were we were laden from top to bottom. Gordy Dwyer was with us for a good part of the year. Um, we were tough, very tough. And even guys who didn't fight that often were still tough. And we'd play teams. You go, you go play in our division. We'd play the St. John's Leafs and St. John Flames and the Hamilton Bulldogs, and all of those teams were full of heavyweights, you know, like Rocky Thompson, Sean Thornton, uh, like just guys who would, you know, take a punch the wrong way. They're going <laughs> to George LaRock and Dennis Bombay and Hamilton. Like it, it was it was crazy. The American League was so tough during that time. Who's the toughest guy? So who's the toughest guy you went? Because uh, you mentioned Dennis like, Bombay. We heard stories about Dennis Bombay. Oh, yeah. Like I didn't fight. I didn't have to fight him. Moose would fight him. <laughs> but yeah. I fought. I fought like Troy Crowder. Fought Probert. And I fought him one night in Fredericton. Um, did I did well? I got the shirt over his head. I don't know why he didn't have a shirt tied down. But um, and I don't know. There's there's some guys there that were like super tough. Dale Purrington and I had a few battles. Thornton, uh, Thornton and I fought a few times. Never fought in the O, but uh, we fought a couple times in the American League. DJ Smith and I had a few few tilts in the American League too. And same thing, never fought him in the O. Um, 
Yeah, there's there's some there is there's some really tough tough guys there. I don't know. Probably Crowder would be the one who probably has the the probably the biggest record to to look at. But Thornton, I guess Thornton, he'd be right there. Who stands out to you, Bernsey? That and maybe even a time where you're like, oh, geez, do I have to go this guy or have to go this guy again? Well, actually, uh, the two guys that Darcy just mentioned, Sean Thornton, I had two or three fights with him. One in training camp, and then again, because we didn't play Peterborough very often back then. It was maybe a home and home against the East teams, right? But yeah, we fought him twice, uh, DJ Smith. But um, yeah, probably Thornton. I was like, uh, he was really, really tough back then. And <laughs> like he did, he made a career of it, really, right? And yeah. just a role player that maybe not the skilled guy, but he he did play 10, 15 years in the NHL, right? Based on his role he played, right? And he backed it up. But that's one name that I, I do remember fighting a couple of times back then. Darius mentioned looking at those sheets in pro where you're looking down the lineup of who you're going to fight. Going back to your OHL days, you know, I'm sure there were rosters you were looking down being like, oh, this guy's a good player. We got to concentrate on this player. Who was the best player you guys saw at the junior level? It could have been on your team or you played against. Oh. And you can't say each other. Well, <laughs> I like Joe Thornton was in the league then. I, I remember... We did, I, like Burns, he said, you might play them twice a year, but he could dominate a game, I thought. Uh, there was, like, Mark Savard was really good in Oshawa. Do you remember, like, Tim Connolly and them guys? And Sudbury had a couple of guys who could really play. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if I go forward defense, I remember playing Brian Burrard. Uh He was a guy that just, I remember, because we met them in the playoffs, too, my first year, or second year, sorry, and remember the game plan was like dump it to his corner and finish your check hard on him. Right. But he was basically impossible to hit before you knew it. He was gone the other way and he was already at the blue line going the other way. Right. Uh, up front, probably Todd Bertuzzi. It just, what, six, three, two twenty, could skate, had so much skill, played on the line with Jeff O'Neill. Um, so basically unstoppable, unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one day we, we were playing them on the global game of the week. Do you remember the Saturday afternoon games? And we were uh, getting ready to pack the bus in Kitchener. And we were playing well. They had, you know, O'Neill, Bertuzzi, Roman Nadir, just a great team. I think they ended up winning the whole thing that year. But our bus broke down in Kitchener. So we had to take a city bus over. And we had to get dressed in Kitchener and take the city bus to Guelph for the global game of the week. And you know, everybody's family's back home are watching this game because once a week, that's what we grew up watching, right? Was that global game of the week on Saturday afternoons. So we take the city bus over from uh, Kitchener to Guelph. We get there with one minute left in warm up. We skate on the ice, do one lap, come off. That was our warm up. I think we end up getting beat 8 1 that game. But I do remember, I think maybe O'Neill and Bertuzzi each had a hat trick, but Bertuzzi seemed to get a hat trick every time he played us. And like I said, that's one name that stuck out from my playing days. What trip do you remember dreading the most, Darcy? Oh, you talking just for, for travel or like just in general? Or maybe maybe the opponent, yeah, either or. I hated going to Sudbury. You, you know, like they had in my first year, Sugden was there. They had... Uh, like Kip Brennan was there. They had, you know, they had, they always had a tough team. Plus the fans in that burn were just on you 
all the time. It was, I found it was just a miserable place to play. And no offense to anybody from Sudbury, but uh, I think it was, I think it's Jason Flick. I don't know if you guys, if you remember Jason Flick or not, he's goaltender played uh, in Sault Ste. Marie and played. Anyway, he played with me at UPI. I was CIS goalie of the year. And Flicker is from from Sudbury. And uh, he once told me, he said, it's not hell, but you can see it from there. <laughs> <laughs> not the nicest city to go. Like the hotel we stayed at was right by the railway tracks. And you, uh, it just was, I don't know. wasn't my favorite place to go. I think we're still staying at that same yeah, hotel. Not much has changed. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. The holiday, no, it was a Howard Johnson's or something in the day, maybe, or a holiday in, I'm not sure where Right by the tracks. Yep. Right by the tracks. And that that old barn is still the same old barn. <laughs> oh, they didn't get a new one. Not yet. Oh, that's, okay. That's the plan. But okay. right now, still the same old barn. <laughs> what about you, Bernsey? What trip did you dread for whatever reason? Yeah, for some, I, I believe they put Sudbury in our division that our last year, didn't they, with the Central Division? And so we had to make that trip was it five or times. six times, right? And then they had that. Do you remember the wolf they had? Still yeah. have it. Still do. Still I don't think they've it. changed well, that either. <laughs> in my first year, we, we they they made some big trades at the lead line. So they traded for Jason Bond Sr. and Ethan Morrow and all those guys. And we ended up playing them in the first round. And uh, so we basically had no chance on paper, according to everybody. But, uh, yeah, we had to make that trip all year. We ended up playing in the first round. I think we went up there with – I mean, we weren't going to back down, but we knew we were – pretty well out matched. I think they had five or six first rounders on that team. Uh, we lost the first game eight one. So we saw the wolf quite a bit. Uh, the second game was nine two, I believe. So we didn't put up much of a fight and we were so sick of seeing that wolf come out and back out and back. And then uh, we lost game three, but we did end up winning game four. And that was just, uh, I remember Jeff Ward was our coach back then. And he was we were just trying to build a foundation, right? Where we weren't going to back down. We knew we were outmatched, but we were going to give it all we had. So we ended up winning game three in Kitchener in overtime. So we had, or game four, sorry, we were almost going to be swept, but game four. So we had to go back to Sudbury again. And I remember, yeah, once again, I think we got beat 7 2 again. But yeah, probably that trip, the, the Sudbury trip, just a long, long trip, right? It is a long drive in that old barn as we talk about. I want to talk about another old barn because it seems no matter how many of these OHL story podcasts we do, the Windsor barn comes up at every turn. Do you guys have a Windsor barn story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate it as a rookie having to pick the pucks up. Uh, picking them up any other rate didn't bother me, but picking the pucks up in Windsor. And you had Captain Canada and who are all the crazies are up behind and up behind the, the the net, the visitors net in warm up, just mm-hmm. heckling you. They might throw stuff at you, and like I hated it. I hated <laughs> they were they were they were they were mean to me. They were not nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember getting. Do you remember how they would crank the heat in the dressing room before games, Darcy? <laughs> Yeah. So we would be all soaked with sweat just trying to get ready for the game, right? And of course, every time we left the rink, there'd be 15 bags of garbage on top of the bus from the fans throwing garbage bags up there. Yeah, just an old barn. Yeah. yeah. The heat was always back. the worst. Pardon me? The heat was always the worst because you're, you're just so lethargic going out there. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I just they, want to they, nap. they cranked it. We'd get them back the next time in Kitchener. We'd give them like 
six or seven pucks for warm up, so they'd have to. <laughs> they couldn't warm up the goalie too much. That makes me think of the the era you played. I'm sure it was it was the '95 Knights team that had the the dubious distinction of winning just three times. We get chirped a lot for not yet having had a former knight on the podcast. We'll get to that at some other time. But what was it like playing? Like, did you ever? Did you think this is your guaranteed two points? Were you terrified of losing the game when you went in there? Well, actually, it, it caught up with us, yeah, because we did have that that feeling one year that year. Uh, I believe it's a different year for the Memorial Cup bids, where I think the top two teams are first place teams in each division. Because I'm not sure what happened with the hosts, but something happened where at Christmas the first place teams got to put a bid in to host the Memorial Cup. So they were sitting there with two wins going into our game before Christmas. And all we had to do was win that game. Mm-hmm. And and then we could bid for the Memorial Cup, right? They ended up beating us that game. And we couldn't bid for the Memorial Cup. I think Peterborough actually won the bid that year, ended up hosting. But, yeah, so one of the three wins was against us, and it cost us the I bid think, for the Memorial Cup. I think two of their three wins were against us, was it not? I, I'm pretty sure they beat us twice that year because uh, we won't look that up. Yeah. No, the old ice house. That was another burn. Uh, Fans could walk onto your bench, could they not? Yeah. Or was that so. Windsor? One of them. I How, think. I think London. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought you could walk just right down, right yeah. from the, the stands. Sioux, the Sioux was like that. Halfway yep. through your bench was the the entrance to the yeah up into the stands. <laughs> Crazy. How, how much looking back on your career in Kitchener, how much did you guys hate London? That's for our London listeners who <laughs> give us a hard time for not having a former night. How much did you hate London? London already got its props on this podcast because their three win season, two of them yeah. came against Kitch. Let's pound them when they're down. <laughs> well, I think one thing was they probably had a worse logo than we did back then. <laughs> That's that was one point. thing we had. I mean, that's, that's where the hatred began. But yeah, it is, you know, the short bus ride, them or Guelph, right? Like there was rivalries. And yeah, I remember going to London and I mean, there was a minimum three to five fights a game. I remember one night Darcy fighting John Erskine. And I still remember it. He hit him so hard. His helmet went about 20 feet up in the air. But yeah, we had some great games against them. Very, very, very enjoyable. Yeah, it was, I, I, I didn't know the whole Kitchener London hatred. I did. I, you know, I'm not. wasn't. I guess Bernsey's not from Kitchener either. But I, I know it more now. I have uh, uh, one of the. Well, that's a. We don't have to get into that. Just yeah, I, I get it now. At the time, I didn't. But I didn't like playing London. But I didn't understand how much the two organizations hate each other, and how much the fan base actually gives it to each other is probably more of a more accurate state and i think it just increases year over year uh his name has come up a couple of times wardy jeff ward who obviously you played for what was he like as a coach in junior well i think i when we fight my first year in in kitchener uh, my coach was joe mcdonnell uh we i think we were ranked top 10 to start the year we had a pretty veteran laced team um and then things didn't work out, but Wardy came in just before Christmas, I believe. We were doing our northern trip up north, uh, Sudbury, North Bay, Sioux. And uh, for some day one, he kind of just changed the whole atmosphere of, of the organization, right? It was 
a big emphasis on school and uh, conducting yourself right and nothing, no, nothing against like the past before before him but he just just a tremendous tremendous motivator um he got the most out of pretty well every player that he coached and uh, i mean it shows how, how long his career was it's still going on right so yeah i i was a I probably appreciated him more after I had him than I did while, while I had him as a coach and not because he was great. He was great to me. Um, he'd call you on stuff and he'd hold you accountable, which was great. I think you need that. Um, but I was for, for me, I was so impressed. He, he was just a, such a student of the game. He had, Burns, you remember, like we had breakouts for depending on who we were playing. There, like, he was a big X's and O's guy, had all kinds of uh, different systems to put in place. And maybe he would study other teams, you know, be a Wednesday night, but Guelph was playing London. He'd be down in London watching Guelph and London play just to analyze and come up with a game plan. So, that was yeah, his, kind his of preparation, that. yeah, his preparation oh. for every team was undeniable, right? We were ready, we were coach ready to play every night, right? And then uh, obviously his motivation. Probably the biggest motivator I've ever had and yeah. always got his point across. And you almost had that little fear factor of him too, right? Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah. He, he kept you on your toes, right? Like a fiery little woodchuck, that guy. He, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember uh, we had gone on, we had, we had got ourselves ranked nationally. I think we were ranked ninth in the country or something. We made the national rankings. We had gone on, I don't know, we went 10 or 12 games without a loss. We had some ties in there and then just bam. We had a loss and another one and another one. And I think we went like 10 games without a win. Again, had a few more ties. And there was a long stretch anyway. So the fall from, from glory was ungraceful for us. And, and I remember coming to the rink one day. You remember we weren't allowed in the dressing room, Bernsey? Oh, yeah. We were allowed in the room. And then when, when Morty opened the room, he came in and he had taken care of business playing by Bachman Turner Overdrive on repeat on the sound system. And I still to this day cannot listen to that song. <laughs> <laughs> there was ducks. We had rubber ducks hanging from the ceiling, and there was like uh, war cries, like native war cries and stuff, all like um, on the walls, put on the walls. And then we had to go down to the Olympic size ice surfaces, and we were bag skated for an hour and a half, not a puck in sight. Yeah, I remember um, we were like 10 and 3 in the last three weeks, but we didn't get any pucks for the practice, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, those were the dark days, but I, yeah, he, he did get the most out of us. Um, and, and looking back, yeah, he's just a fantastic coach and someone that uh, even through the years I, I kept in touch with a little bit. Um, uh, Summerside here had won Hockeyville a few years ago, and the Devils were one of the, the teams who was playing, so I went down to the room to get in to see him, but he, he wasn't there. A couple other guys that I that I knew were there and, and uh, other coaching staff, and they uh, – he hadn't made the trip and split squad. So uh, he was back in New Jersey with Alain Nazarene, one of my former teammates, but they gave me his number, contacted him, shot him some texts and talked to him. And yeah, just a great guy. And, and he's done a great job, did a great job. I thought Calgary kind of wish he was, I don't think Calgary's probably real excited with how things have turned out with their firing of him too. But uh, I, I thought he was a great coach. Couldn't say enough good things about him. So Darcy, go from him. To M Michelle Terrian. <laughs> what do you have to say about your time under Michelle Terrian? Uh, it was under Michelle Terrian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have, I do, yeah, I don't have a whole <laughs> lot of good things to say about him. I really don't. I wish I could find something 
positive, but I really enjoyed my time because of my teammates in the American League. And Jerry Fleming was assistant coach. He was awesome. He treated me like like one of his own kids. You know, he was very good to me. Um, but Mike, I we never. I, I don't know what I did. He didn't. I shouldn't say that. I don't think I did anything. He just didn't like some guys, plain and simple. And uh, no matter what I did, I'd fight anybody he wanted me to. I'd do whatever he wanted. And it still just was never good enough. Um, we had played. I got, I got a bunch of stories about him. This is, I, don't, I won't tell you too many of them because I don't want to tell a story. But, well, <laughs> he, uh, we were in first major road trip we went on. I think we were gone 18 days and we were in Springfield, Massachusetts. And there was a couple of line brawls, but I didn't touch the ice very much. I wasn't on the ice when the brawls broke out. So we had no choice but to play me coming on the end of the game. So I played. <laughs> the next game, so we travel, we go to Hamilton. And Hamilton has a tough team, like LaRock and Bombay and Daniel McQuaw. They got, they got a tough team. But our heavyweights are out of the lineup because they're suspended. They were in the brawls. So there's like me and Aaron Asham and Terry Ryan, maybe. Uh, Terry might have been suspended too. I'm not sure. But a few middleweights. Anyway, Terry comes in before the game and says, Nobody, I try to imitate him. Don't you worry about the fight. Nobody has to worry about the fights. Just play the hockey. So anyway, when it, and I played hard, got a regular shift and was, I played hard. I was hitting anything that moved. I would have fought in a heartbeat if somebody wanted to, but nobody said anything. So game was over. We go to Philadelphia. Get to Philadelphia. Calls me in his room. He's sitting in front of the window. Window is open. The lights are off and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette. So there's just a big haze where I can't even see him, just a shadow in this window, right? How do you think you play last game? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. I thought I played all right. I was hitting guys. I played pretty good. Why? And then he just loses it. You have to fight every effing night. Um, and I was like, you said before the game, no fighting. Do I have to send you the fax? I was like, yeah, I guess from now on, Send me the facts because I don't know. I don't know when you want. So that very next game, we're playing Philadelphia. He takes Johnny DeLille, uh, right winger, took Johnny off and put me on to line up against Francis Belanger, who was a tough guy. So I know what I'm out there for. So I'm like, all right, line up beside him, whack him in the top of the foot, the puck drops, we fight. Still wasn't enough. He just, he was never, I don't know. He was, I did never liked him. No. <laughs> You're not the only player, I'll say that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. What's it like, Bernsey, and, and Darcy, you too, but watching the game today, so many names have come up over the past almost hour here. You know, the, the Bertuzzi's, the O'Neill's, the Thornton's and the Thornton's, uh, the, the guys that, uh, DJ Smith, that you both fought at one point, and now, of course, he's, he's coaching in the show. When you're, when you're watching the game today, when you're seeing guys that you played with, I mean, what's it like? following the game today with guys maybe that you never liked when you were playing junior against them well this yeah the respect value for someone like joe thornton i mean he was a rookie my second year in the ohl and here he is like he's still playing at a high like contributing every night and and then uh yeah like i said it just it's kind of unfathomable when you think about how long he's been playing like not, we were kids then we were 18 and he's what 41 42 now I mean I'm sore getting out of the bed every morning and you, and you wonder how these guys continually can can play that long right but yeah just a tremendous amount of respect and kind of in awe that they can still go out and play in the NHL this at, at that age right it's because Joe had guys like you defending him on the ice he didn't have to do all the hard work hey eh? yeah 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 another time, we, we only played Sue twice back then, right? But I mean, I remember uh, our, our scout back then, Larry Stern, saying, like, you should see this kid play. And then, like, when you think back to stories like that now, and you're watching Elise the other night, and he's still out there playing, like, it's basically just really unbelievable. Darcy, going back to your uh, American Hockey League career, did you ever see anyone eat cat food? Fancy uh, feast? I, I don't know where that story came from. It, I ate a big a big blob of butter one time. From my- I, yeah, <laughs> I, I heard it was uh, oh, 30. Uh, uh, Joel Terrio. That's, that's who we had. We had him eat cat food. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Joel Terrio. He was a tough guy. He was super tough. Um, <laughs> we do these stupid things to keep entertained. Again, we were young. We were young. Yeah, I heard you ate 30 those. butter thirty butter balls. Why would you eat that there much was, butter? There was a lot. I don't know how many exactly it was. Uh, you take uh, a very large soup spoon and fill it with as much butter as it can hold. And uh, yeah, I did. I ate that. Got to be, I don't know what I got, $75 American or something out of it. So right, right down to Abercrombie and Fitch the next day. We were in Providence, Rhode Island. Got myself a new summer outfit. For, you know, we just did. That's one of the things our team did. It was mostly Terry Ryan, if I have to point a finger. He was constantly goading and egging people on. And, and I think he learned a lot of it from, from David Ling, an OHL name that everybody would remember. I'm sure Burns, he played against Slinger. They, uh, he was, he played in Fredericton the year before I got there and I don't think it quite well and knew him growing up, but, um, yeah, the, that's just the kind of antics that, that we would do to keep entertained who will do something stupid and how little can we pay them to do it. It's kind of. Now I know where Popper got the story from, because we had Linger on this podcast a while back and he had all, so now we know where, who, who the source is here. It, it wasn't Linger. I'll say that it wasn't. <laughs> Hey, I'm a reporter. I can't (laughs) give up my sources. (laughs) All I know is that you paid somebody to can a fancy feast. He ate the whole thing and you apparently had 30 butterballs. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Birdsy, how many times as a captain did you have to keep these guys in line when they were doing stupid stuff like this as Kitchener Rangers? I don't remember too often. I remember like the strangest thing I ever seen a guy eat was... uh... You remember Garrett Burnett? We got him our first year. Uh, he went on to be a fighter in the show, but he would eat Flexol. You know, the stuff that we like it's kind of like an anti-inflammatory heat heat rub. He would eat that before games. And I think it was more just for show to, to see, to show how crazy he was. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Our guys, our team was pretty, uh, pretty well behaved. We never got out of line. Uh, it was a younger team. So I think they were kind of on edge anyways. We never really had to speak up and keep them in line. We weren't We've allowed either. Like you look at our, like you said about Wardy when when Jeff came in, it was about school. Like he made it. We had to go to school every day, and and if you wanted to miss school, it was it was a big. You couldn't just get up and be like, "Oh, I'm sick. I'm gonna call in sick." Oh, Danny, I don't feel good. Danny would come pick you up, take you to the doctor. You had to go see the doctor, and if the doctor said, "No, no, you're fine," you had to go to school. They drop you off. We had Ivan Tennant and uh, Brian Hayden, and them like all in the organization. We weren't allowed really to get out of hand. We, I thought, you know, it, yeah, it was probably what we needed. Yeah, there was attendance every class, right? Then yeah. 
was uh, call over to Wardy and tell him what the attendance was. And I remember going to Eastwood every Monday night for study hall. Yeah. But yeah, that was a big part of it on and off the ice, right? Just being uh, accountable and changing the way things were, right? Yeah. Burns, you coming from Brockville, you said five hours away. And Darsh, you're coming from out east. You guys come to Kitchener where, you know, it's a hopping town in Ontario at, at that point. What was it like when you first got yourself integrated with this city? Well, like I said, I showed up, uh, I remember, I can still remember the, the day my mom drove me up here for training camp. Well, it was actually for fitness testing right after the draft in June. And we came in the old, the old uh, King Street entrance there and uh, drove up to the odd. And I was kind of in awe of this place, right? Because we didn't have rinks like that back home. Uh, but yeah, well, it was just, uh, just didn't take long to, to, to realize how important hockey was and how, how big the Rangers were to the fan base. And, you know, they made you feel right at home from, from day one. Right. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, even to this day, I mean, I still walk around, I still see people that I know. And uh, I mean, the four years were probably the four best years of my life. Right. So. Yeah. For, for me, it was, I was literally a country bumpkin, uh, closest down to me i guess like the region i live in in, in uh, prince edward island there's a bunch of small communities that are you know within the rocks throw of each other but they're all like 1500 people that was that's the town and summerside might be fifteen thousand, and charlottetown at the time was probably 45 or or so a thousand like to me when i went to kitchener that was my first time being away from home didn't know any well i had aunts i had an aunt and an uncle uh who lived in barry ontario uh actually my first year they were in trenton um so i didn't know anybody trenton's quite a ways away from kitchener i didn't know a soul and to me the city was huge it may as well have been toronto as it was kitchener um but my father and i had been up for the draft and uh i'd said and, and we had got to drive around a little bit and see some things one thing i i was amazed by i guess was how how quickly people took you in and uh, if they knew you played with the Rangers, they were just, they were so great to you. And never once that I, I shouldn't, uh, I don't know if I want to say this on the podcast or not, but I was quite homesick up until probably Thanksgiving. Like I'd call home, you know, just, geez, I don't know, mom, dad, I, maybe I might come home. I don't know if I can, don't know if I can do this or not. And finally, you know, probably about a month in, my father said, well, fine. If you want to come home, come home. If you don't like it, then come home. And then once I knew I could come home, then I didn't want to come home anymore. So, uh, but just fitting into the community. My first year, I lived up in Waterloo, which is, I was, I don't know if they expected me to make the team or not, but I was billeted, nice people, but quite a ways up off Northfield exit. So quite a ways from the rink, but luckily Bernsey and Pepperell and who else was, DeSantis was with you? DeSantis, yeah. Yeah, you guys were not too far away. So I get did get to sneak over there. You guys can come pick me up sometimes and I get to hang out with you guys some evenings. But it was, you know, I was a little bit lonely. But even the people in in that uh, subdivision I was in, when I got to know them, you know, I just couldn't get over how friendly people were and, and how much they took me in. I just fell in love with the city. I absolutely love it there. And, you know, if I wasn't to live here at home, PEI, I'd St. John's Newfoundland might be close. I went to Memorial University. I loved it, but but Kitchener has always had a special place in my heart. And I go back. I love going back there, and I, I'd move there in a heartbeat. Love the city. 
we love listening to these stories and it's the it's the reason we started this this podcast it's filling time between uh games right now in the ontario hockey league but anyway could listen all day before before we let you go there there was another another name that came up we've had so many connections here linger just a moment ago and all these others but billy mcguigan's name came up earlier and it, it ties darcy into names that that you mentioned before bob Ertle, who was at upei watching his son tyler when he first saw you well now it would be bob's grandkid tyler's son who is playing for billy mcguigan down yeah. your way now i mean this hockey world is tiny yeah it is yeah yeah his, I, I had heard that that uh tyler's son had was is he, goal, is he goaltender no uh no because mike torquia's kids there as well he's the goaltender oh, okay. yeah okay so that's the other connection then too yeah, yeah. um yeah, so they, they both come in because I mean through through this past year, Prince Edward Island was one of the few places that was actually playing hockey. My kids played minor hockey. We had two two small interruptions. One one was like a two week shutdown, but um, we got the whole season in. And my kids both had their well, I guess my daughter's uh, she's a novice, so they they don't actually have playoffs. But uh, my son is Adam, and they got to have their provincials. You know, like we we. We, the provincials were held in PEI, where most other most other uh, provinces have actually. I'm not sure if any other province got to completely finish their season, or, or I don't think anybody played near as many games as we got to play. So I'm very fortunate. Making the rest of the country jealous with talk like that. <laughs> I have a buddy uh, who's in Manitoba. They got they didn't get to play any minor hockey, none, and he runs uh, like a. Uh, it was like a private school kind of deal for for a hockey, a hockey academy, and they had to send their kids back. Kids come from Europe and stuff; they never had a chance. It's, just, it's a shame, and it's a I, I hate seeing what's going on in Ontario now. Anyway, I just I feel very fortunate to to be where I'm at right now, and and I, I don't always. Usually, in the winter times in PEI, I wish I was somewhere else, but uh, this year I was very very glad to be where I was. So. If we can just end it on one note, I got I got to ask if. I grew up coming to Rangers games and it was in your guys era with my old neighbor, Jim Martin. Uh, he since passed away. He was a season ticket holder when him and his wife came over from overseas from day one, they got season tickets to the Rangers. We lived up in Palmerston. He would come back. I got to ask Bernsey, what was a guy, one of my favorite players during that time, Serge Paye. What was he like? I remember uh, when we, we drafted Serge and uh, I was back home and uh, he had called me and he said, uh, I'm not sure if I want to go to Kitchener. Can you let me know what kind of place it is, what kind of organization it is? And uh, I said, man, I mean, you make the decision to go to Kitchener, you're not going to regret it, right? Tremendous, tremendous organization. And you ended up coming in and a real, real quiet guy, uh, heavy French accent to begin with. And uh, yeah, just a guy that he worked his tail off. And um, one of those guys just on work ethic, he was able to play some NHL games. Uh, he got sick there pretty uh pretty bad there my I think my last year or the year after uh I'm not too sure what he had but he had some something to do with uh his immune system but uh yeah just a tremendous tremendous work ethic uh I was so happy when I see him play the NHL it was just uh you know you kind of you kind of had a feeling like I kind of helped him like like with his career and set the path for him and uh yeah it was great to see guys it's great go ahead just real quick I remember going to a game I gotta tell this story uh, I, I remember going to a game and I went with this, my neighbor all the time and we knew the usher 
And uh, one game, the usher comes running down to our seat and he goes, Jim, like, check the kids' program. And we open up the program and sure as heck, it's got like the mark or whatever in the corner that I'm supposed to go out on the ice and shoot in the intermission. So he had obviously dealt it to my neighbor here to get me out on the ice. So I go down. I am so nervous. I am like, my hands are sweaty. I get out there, but I'm playing hockey all, all the time. That's why my neighbor takes me wanting to play junior. And I, I get out there from center ice and I'm like, I'm going to bury this. And I take a look easy and right into the corner. <laughs> Not even close. My, I get back to my seat. The usher's looking at me like, what the heck was that? My neighbor's laughing at me. I go, if it was a goalie stick, I would have had it. If it was a goalie <laughs> stick, I would have had it. Who knows? You guys might've been in that game. That's all. <laughs> if they that. were, they were still, they're still laughing at you, Popper. That's yeah. why, right? Everybody was. Goes. <laughs> guys, it's been uh, a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed catching up as the teammates that you are too. But uh, thanks for, thanks for making the time to do this with us and, and sharing your stories. No problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I appreciate you having us. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.